0: Last week, we talked about overcoming this curse of comparison. Has anybody here in church ever had the issue of where you compared something that you had to something that someone else had? Yep. Every one of us, amen. We, we would all, at different times, we would look at something that someone else had, and we would be, we'd get green. We'd look at their nice car, we'd look at their nice home, we'd look at their nice husband, we'd look at their nice wife, or, and we'd get green, amen. We think, you know, why isn't my home like that all the time? But I walk into my home and it's a mess. But you you, you see their home and everything is nice and tidy. But praise God, what we've been doing last week, as we said, we were comparing other people's highlights to our normal day. And we're not meant to do that. Amen? Comparison is dangerous. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, it says there in verse 12, it says, For we dare not class ourselves... Or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. Or basically, we dare not compare ourselves to those people who are always going around tapping themselves on the back. We're not meant to go around and we're not meant to compare ourselves to those people who think that they're better than everyone else. Who post all of their highlights on Facebook. I challenge you this week, if you're going to post a picture on Facebook or Instagram, post a picture on Facebook or Instagram of you just haven't got out of the bed. Or making your lunch. Or in the middle of work. Amen? Amen. See how many likes you get. It's not a highlight. Amen? For we dare not class class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves are comparing themselves among themselves. They are not wise. Amen? And we want to be wise. Amen? We are not in a competition. I'm not in a competition against you. You are not in a competition against me. We've all been equally called by God, given different things to do. Praise God. We've been all given a race to run. You're not running against me. I'm not running against you. I'm not running against Billy Graham. Thank God. Amen. We've all been uniquely given our own races to run. We need to run them. Amen. In a way that only you can win. We need never be looking over our shoulder at what anyone else is doing. Run your race. Amen? Today I want to talk, and continuing in this series, I want to talk about the overcoming the comfort of apathy. You know what apathy means? Apathy is when you're indifferent about something. Amen? Anybody ever indifferent about anything? Or anybody who's ever showed a lack of interest or a lack of enthusiasm about a subject? That's what apathy is. And we're going to talk today about overcoming the comfort of apathy. You see, most days when I, when I get home, I'll turn on the 6 o'clock news, whether it be on BBC or Sky or RT, I'll turn on one of them. And I'll sit down there for the best part of an hour, and I'll watch the news. And, and when I watch the news, I'm watching story after story of disaster here, uh, crisis here, bombing here, famine here, Heart loss here. I'll hear about the homeless crisis, how it's now at the worst level ever. Heard it during the week. It's at over 10,000 people in Ireland now are classified as homeless, and it's rising, and no one's got an answer for it. I'll I'll hear again of another young person who may have died in an overnight accident on the road. I'll, I'll hear about a drought in Australia or a crisis in Kashmir or a suicide bomber in Iraq. And I bombard her with all of these horror stories as I sit there, each one of them as dreadful as the other and each one in affecting in its own right. And as soon as the weather is over, I'll get up out of my comfortable seat and I'll walk to the kitchen and I'll make myself a cup of tea and I'll completely forget about everything that I've just heard. It'll go in this ear and out this ear. You know that we're living in a generation that really doesn't care a whole lot about what's going on around them, as long as it doesn't affect your own little world? Church, we've got to be honest, we don't. We really don't. We see all of these stories, but we, we really don't allow them to affect us in a way that we really care. We're gone very apathetic. Of course, when there's a there a couple of years ago when the, the niece attacked, our niece attack happened. Everybody changed their Facebook profile to a French flag and everybody was posting sympathy and stuff like that. But really, we don't really care. Because it really didn't affect us. It was really far away. It was in France or it was in New Zealand or it was someplace that, you know, didn't affect my world. So therefore, you know what? I, I, I was horrified for a short while, but, you know, then I just relaxed back into my own little world. So here's my question today. How do we overcome this epidemic of apathy that we all seem to suffer. To introduce this problem to you, I want us to look at a portion of a parable that Jesus told in response to a question from a religious expert. The religious expert came to Jesus and asked Jesus a fantastic question, a question that there's none of us will be here today if we didn't ask Jesus, and that was, how might I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered that question With a question. Don't you love when Jesus does that? Or anybody else does that? You ask him a question and they answer you back with a question. Like, where's my shoes and where did you leave them? (laughs) If I knew where I left them, I wouldn't ask. But this is what Jesus did here. Jesus, that was funnier than he's reacted. (laughs) Jesus asked a question. He said, what does the law say? And the religious guy answered in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. In the second part there... Verse 27, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And this guy does something that I think most of us would do. We ask for specifics. Amen. He got his answer. He actually answered his own question. But then he went back when Jesus said, do this and live. And he said, okay, give me a bit more specifics here. Who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor the guy who lives next door to me at the moment? Do I don't really like? Is my neighbor the guy who used to live beside me? Who who is my neighbor, he said to Jesus. And, And Jesus told him this parable. In verse 30, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounding him and departing and leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. It says, so this priest, this religious person, when he saw the injured man, he looked at him, he weighed up the situation, he saw his hurt, he saw his injuries, he saw that he was in a bad way. He saw that he was half dead and, and he widened the arc of his steps to bring him to the other side of the road and then he quickly passed on by on the other side and he moved on about his business. And Jesus went on with the story in verse 32. It says, And likewise, a Levite, another religious person, when he arrived at this place, he came and he looked And he passed by on the other side. Isn't that like what we do a lot of times? Is we come on a a scene of, of hurt or distress or pain and we take a look at it and we look into it and we investigate and then we just get on with our business. Isn't that what we do a lot of times? Isn't that such a powerful image of apathy? I see the injury, but I don't want to get involved. I'm too busy. I have too many meetings today. Too much to do. What if the person who did this is still around, watching me? Maybe I'd be the next victim. If I call an ambulance, I'll have to wait for the ambulance to come. I don't know him. Maybe he's on drugs. Maybe he's on alcohol. Maybe he's drunk. Yeah, more than likely, he's probably drunk. It's probably his own fault that he ended up in this situation. Why should I help him? It's not worth the effort. Why do you think that it's so difficult for us to care like Jesus asked us to care? How can you watch this horror happen all around you and not be moved, or at least not be moved past the duration of the news and then just get on with my life? I believe there's three reasons why we are so apathetic about different crises that we witness on a daily basis. And the first one is the volume of information is overwhelming. You sit down any evening and watch the news and you will be bombarded by news stories of disasters going on around the world. You open your phone at any one time and open the news feed in your phone and every part of the news feed will be disaster, disaster, disaster. You pick up a newspaper and you read a newspaper and again it will be one disaster disaster. After another global warming, car bomb in Syria, U.S.-Russian tensions, famine in Yemen, school shooting in the U.S., homeless crisis, and so on, and so on. There are so many things going on out there that it is difficult for us to care because of the sheer volume of the things going on. See, we're so overexposed to tragedy on a daily basis that it becomes just another bombing just another shooting, just another tsunami, just another typhoon. See, we're so overexposed that it makes us hard to care anymore. Second reason, I I think, is we feel helpless to be able to make a change. I think we see all these things going on around the world. And I, and I really think that, that when we're in the moment, when we, when we read the article, when we, when we uh, see it on the news, I really think in the moment where we are affected by what we see or what we read, but I really feel then that we, we think within ourselves that, well, what difference can I make? What can I do about it? How can I bring about change? I'd love to help, but I don't have the money to help. I don't have the time to help. I'd love to help, but, you know, how would I help? How can I help? Anyway, I need to take care of my own needs. I need to take care of my own family. I need to keep a roof over my own family's heads. I I need to pay my own rent. I need to feed my own family. I really do care, but I don't think that I could make much of a difference. You see, I believe we don't care like Jesus told us to care because the sheer volume of information is overwhelming and for, for one, we also feel helpless to be able to make a difference. I think the third reason why we're so ap- apathetic about the things going on around us is that we're blessed and cursed with comfort. Amen. Yeah. We're blessed with comfort, aren't we? Yeah. I know every one of you this morning woke up with a roof over your head yeah. in a comfortable bed. In a warm house. Every one of you is when you went to your kitchen this morning, you had running water to make your tea or make your coffee. You went to the fridge, you had plenty of food in your fridge for your breakfast. If you didn't like what was in the fridge, you had more food in your presses. No one came here hungry today. And when you go home, you'll have more food. If you don't go to the supermarket before you go home, you'll still have food in your home. And if you don't have food in your home, I believe every one of you has a phone number of at least one restaurant in your phone that you can ring. See, I believe our comfort has become a kind of a curse to us. Not that it's a bad thing, not that it's something that we should be not thankful for, but I think it can also be a curse to us. You see, this afternoon most of us will go home, and when we're finished eating our own food, we'll, we'll sit down in front of our own TVs and we'll watch our football game on the TV, or we'll binge watch Friends, or we'll binge watch Grey's Anatomy, or something like that. And, and you know what happens then, when you're halfway through something, and your internet starts to buffer, or your internet goes down? We're up out of our seats, and we're throwing a hissy fit. We're cracking up. We're, going, we're, we're giving out about you know Air, or Virgin, or whoever our supplier is, and we're giving out about the worst internet supplier ever. I have it so bad. This is so terrible. This is a disaster. What am I going to do for the rest of the day? The internet's not working. See, I think we get so consumed in our own comforts that we forget that there's people all around us that are still suffering in in, in pain and hurt and in loss because we're so comfortable. Amen? We're blessed and we're cursed with comfort. Because the thing is, when we get so comfortable, life starts to become all about me. All about my comfort. All about the more I need, the more I want. I need to be more comfortable. I need to be more happy. I need to be more secure. You know, that comfort is kind of like a drug the more that you get, the more that you think that you deserve. And before long, you know what we start to do? We start to manipulate God in our prayer time. We start to go to God and we start to pray to God for stuff that brings more comfort to us. Amen? God, if I could only have enough money to be able to go buy this 50-inch TV. Lord, if I could only change this internet provider. Lord, if I could only buy the new iPhone, then I'd be happy. We start to manipulate God in our Prayer time because within ourselves we are so comfortable that we think that we deserve these things. Amen. Amen. Our neighbor buys a new car and we're all of a sudden going, God, he don't go to church, I do. I tied, Lord, where's my new car? You see what I'm saying? We start to think we deserve these things. We start to believe that it's God's job to get us the things that we want. We start to use God as kind of like the genie in the lamp. We, when everything is going good, we don't spend a whole lot of time praying, but when things are not going so good, we kind of take out God, the genie in the lamp, and give Him a rub and say, God, I want one of my wishes. I want you to do something for me. We even get that way in our churches, don't we? I want to go to a church that makes me comfortable, that doesn't demand much of me, where I'm warm, but not too warm. Not too hot. And in the summer, I want to be cool. Not too cold. Where the message is just right and not too challenging. Amen. And most of all, it doesn't go on too long. Amen. Amen. We want a God that will take away my backache, take away my headache when I'm feeling pain. I want a God that will give me a raise in work without me having to do any more work for it. Amen. I want a God that does whatever it takes to make me feel more comfortable. Isn't that true? I mean, we live in Ireland. Praise God. We live in a truly blessed country. Yeah, we have our faults. But praise God, we are blessed. Amen. And I believe a lot of the apathy that we suffer on a daily basis is because of our comfort, because of... Of, of, we, are, we are so comfortable that when we hear these things going on, oh, well, they're 5,000 miles away. I'm not so concerned. It's not. I'll, I'll get worried when it starts to come to me. But I'm fine with it. It's okay. So how do we overcome this self-centered attitude of apathy? How can we start to love people like Jesus told us to love? You know where I think is a good place for us to start? that if we started to expose ourselves to something that causes us a kind of righteous discomfort, I mean, many of us in the last week has done something that's made us, knowingly done something that made us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. That's right. How many of us in the last week, how many of us in the last month has deliberately chosen to do something that's Uncomfortable. I don't think many of us, if any of us. Amen? See, I believe that we need to intentionally put ourselves in a place that will take us out of our comfort zone, something that we would never usually dream of doing, but something that, if we do, will benefit others. I believe that's a good place to start. Amen? You see, I believe that we need to consistently put ourselves in a place where we can help others. A place where we can make a difference by doing something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, that that upsets our schedule a bit. But by doing so, I know others will benefit from that. You see, because I know I'm hitting a nerve this morning. When When I done this a few weeks back, I hit a nerve with me because I have to ask myself the same question. You know, sometimes when someone asks me to do something that, that I'm like, oh, do I have to? I don't have to. but should do it. And you know, I, I don't. Oh, sure. You do everything to try and get out of it. Because you know it makes you feel uncomfortable. Amen. But I believe we have, it's a great place for us to start. Start doing at least one thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I believe a great place for us to start there would be with our witnessing. Amen. I'm not asking anyone to give up everything they have and go be a missionary in Iraq. Amen. I think a good place for us to start would be if we intentionally said, I'm going to be a witness. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18. It says in verse 18. It says now, this is a different story than we have talked about earlier, even though the similarities are striking. It says in verse 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying... Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Great question for that day and great question for today. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And I think at this point, the rich young ruler had a grin on his face from ear to ear because nothing that Jesus told him to do there made him uncomfortable. Because he was already in the habit of doing these things anyway. So he was like, jackpot. (laughs) Didn't ask me to do anything I don't do anyway. Yes, I can do this. Jesus said to him, oh no, we read that. Verse 21. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. Or he said, all these things are comfortable for me to do. You see, here's the thing. How many of us here this morning, if we were to ask ourselves, how do we line up to the Ten Commandments? I think most of us would do pretty well. I didn't steal Latin in the last week. I didn't swear in the last week. Didn't commit adultery in the last week. I didn't uh, bear false witness in the last week. I didn't. I didn't murder anyone in the last week. I'm doing pretty good. Verse twenty-two. So Jesus said. So Jesus heard these things, and he said to him, "You still lack one thing." And I'd say the rich young ruler's ears are pricked at this stage of fighting, Yes, that be no, no big deal. Just one little thing there now, one little extra thing that's going to be fine. It's going to be no issue because everything he's asked me so far has been ace. So this one little thing, that's not going to be a major thing either and I'm going to ace that one as well. He said, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. You see, even though the rich young ruler was pretty awesome in his own eyes and to be fair to him, he, he probably was. He was probably pretty... On the ball. Most scholars say he was the one apostle that got away. They reckon that he could have been the 13th apostle because they say he was called of Jesus to follow him. But he didn't. Because the one thing that Jesus asked him to do that he already wasn't doing made him uncomfortable. And he wasn't willing to do something that made him uncomfortable to make a difference. It says when he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. If we want to overcome this apathy that we're all suffering, we need to consistently expose ourselves to something that causes a righteous discomfort in us. We have to ask ourselves this question. How bad do I want to help? How bad do I want to make a difference? How bad do I want to see my neighbor, my family come to know Jesus? How bad do I want to help that person who's homeless, that that drug addict, that alcoholic? How bad do I want to help? Am I prepared to make myself uncomfortable to see somebody else come to Jesus? Isn't that the question? Am I prepared to make myself uncomfortable to see someone come to Jesus? Because that's the number one reason we don't witness. this. You know that? Because it's uncomfortable. Amen. Yeah. But yet if you go find a great restaurant here in town or someplace else, you can be the greatest evangelist for that restaurant that, that's ever known. You can, you, you, can, you, you can be an advertisement for that restaurant. Someone says, you know what? They're, and maybe even people don't even say to you that they're going out for a night. You say to them, whoa, you're going out for a night? You've got to go here. This place is amazing. I only discovered it by accident. You've got to go here. Ah, well, no, no, no. Trust me. This is a great place. They have great starters. They have a great main course menu. The waiter's in it. They're fantastic. The ambiance is wonderful. It's brilliant. You've got to go here. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. We all have. Yeah. But when it comes down to someone comes to you and says, Listen, I'm having a tough week. I'm having a hard week. I mean, the cat died on Monday. No big deal. But the dog got sick on Tuesday. It cost me 80 euros. The mother-in-law is not doing well. And, and you know, the job is not going well. And I just think the whole world, l- 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 why, is, why is everything coming against me? You know, God must be, have it in for me. And you're all the time listening to this conversation and you're biting your tongue. Because you know what he needs. You know he needs Jesus. But yet, your friend just motioned the idea of going out for a night and you spent 15 minutes evangelizing for a restaurant and now this person who is going through an absolute horrible week, he's laid it on the table before you. He has set the shot up and you refuse to take the shot because it's uncomfortable to evangelize. It's uncomfortable to talk about Jesus. Even though everything in you is telling you that's what you need to do, you don't do it. I think we need to adopt the Paul attitude in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, For though I am free, in verse 19, from all men, I have made myself a servant of all, that I may win more. Paul is saying that even though he is free and he's under no obligation to any man, but for the sake of bringing some more people to Jesus, he is willing to take himself out of a comfort zone and expose himself to hurting people everywhere so that he may win some more for Jesus. He says in verse 20, he says, To the Jew I've become a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those who are without a law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are, on, who are, those who are without a law. To the weak have become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by any means I might win some. Paul is saying... He has become every man. Amen. He has become the person that when you're hurting, you can come and talk to, and he won't speak down to you. He has become the person that when you're going through a good time, that that he'll still come alongside you, and he'll still minister to you. He has become the person that has not lofted himself above everyone so that he can't relate to anyone. See, our job, church, is for us to be a church of every man. Amen. Yeah. We have to make ourselves a church where a millionaire can walk in and feel at home and feel among family. And a church where a, a person who slept under a bridge last night can walk in and feel every bit as welcome and feel every bit as home as the millionaire does. Yeah, that's right. mm-hmm. To a person who has rejected Jesus all their life, we have to be family to him. Yeah. So that we may win him. To the person who is of a different religion to us, we got to become everything to him so that we may win him. You see, it's not good enough for us to experience someone that lost and run in there straight away with our condemning sermon. Oh yeah, you're lost, all right. You're going to burn in hell unless you repent. Come like me. You know, someone with a bad haircut knows they have a bad haircut. They don't need everyone to tell them that they have a bad haircut. And someone that's lost knows that they're lost. And they don't need us to tell them that they're lost because they know that they're lost. Amen. Mm -hmm. They need us to come along and point us in the right direction. Just like if you're lost on the road and you stop and ask someone local for directions and and they go on for 15 minutes, oh, you're lost, all right. I don't know how you got here. Because this is the back of nowhere. How did you end up here? You don't need that. Amen. Amen. You need someone to point you to the direction that you need to be going in. I don't need a sermon for someone when I'm lost. Amen. I need someone to tell me what way to go. What road do I take? Do I take a left or right at that crossroads? Or do I go straight through? Or do I need to go back altogether and start again? Amen. Amen. And when someone sets themselves up before you, and they do every week, someone will set themselves up. You don't need to ignore it. And likewise, you don't need to give them the whole You're going to burn in hell, Sermon. Amen? Because lost people already know that they're lost. Amen? Church, we live in a country filled with lost and hurting people that are not beating down our doors on Sunday. Amen? Because we're not letting them know that they're welcome as they are. Amen? They're welcome as they are. They don't have to change to come in here. Like, I mean, we come to church and we put on our Sunday best. We keep special clothes for Sunday that we won't wear any other day of the week. But we've got to let the people on the outside know that they don't need special clothes to get in here. They don't need a secret knock on the door, amen? They don't need to get their lives in order before they're welcome here. They don't even need to believe what we believe for them to come into this house. We'll sort that out. Amen? But not with condemnation. Amen? Not with guilt. Amen? Amen. 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 We'll sort it out with love. Paul says, To the Greek I've become a Greek. What does that mean? It means he leveled with them. He listened to what they have to say. And then he took what they have to say and he turned it into a message about... How, you know what you're really looking for? You're looking for Jesus. You know where the answer is really found? It's found in Jesus. Amen? Amen? See, we have become a, a society that has got lost in its own comfort. And we need to shed that comfort in some areas. And, and let, let it be the area that we started in be the area of our evangelism. Amen? we got to become all things to all people so that we may win some. Amen. Amen? I'm not asking anyone to sell all that they have. Give it to the poor. Move to Iraq. Move to wherever. No. Just be open to be a witness. Amen? I found this during the week. It's a Franciscan blessing. And I think it's fantastic. I'm going to give you this in close. It says, May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deeply within your own heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand of comfort to them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.